Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you discussing the latest news in the world of the NTT IndyCar series. And in the past week, we've had quite a bit of news, a lot of different driver announcements, especially ones that I don't think either of us or many fans saw coming in the IndyCar world. Justin, this is uh, a lot of new names, a lot of new things that uh, we're going to discuss tonight. A lot of things that have happened that we weren't expecting to happen. I felt like we entered this week going, okay, we're going to get some rumors on this, that, and the other. And everything that happened really was has been totally unrelated to you know, some of the main topics, particularly in regards to silly season. So the first thing, and I think this was more the most expected thing, and that's uh, Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt reporting that Roman Grosjean is set to move to Andretti Autosport in 2022. This has long been rumored. I think we expected it. He's going to step into the number 28 Honda, according to Marshall. Now, this has not been confirmed by Grosjean or the team. However, I think we expect this to be announced. What? It could be announced as soon as Portland? Right. I feel like maybe there's some extra things that need to be worked out, but Marshall is a respected enough journalist he wouldn't put out there unless he was 100% sure this was going down. So not altogether unexpected. My question would be, will his engineer follow him to Andretti Autosport or not? Because as we understood it, Caleb, that was a sticking point for Romain Grosjean. Yes, and it is my understanding that Olivier Boisson, I just love saying that name, by Me the way. Me too. I was going to let you take it this <laughs> Thank week. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's a fun name to say, but Olivier Boisson is expected to uh, come over to Andretti Autosport from Dale Coyne Racing with Rick Ware Racing and pair up with Roman Grosjean once again at Andretti. I think the thing that stuck out to me, though, in this article, not really the news on Grosjean, uh, as Marshall got a, a comment from an Andretti spokesperson, and they said, we have ongoing conversations to finalize our next driver lineup. That's all they provided. Again, we expect to see that confirmed, though. But the thing that stuck out to me, Marshall writing, uh, Devlin DeFrancesco has been consistently positioned as the driver to take over the number 29 Honda, currently driven by series veteran James Hinchcliffe. Again, it's not a surprise that Hinchcliffe would be out. I think we, we kind of saw the writing on the wall even before the Nashville race when, when Hinch and Hunter Ray both had their best results of the season coming in, Hinch with third and Hunter Ray with fourth. We saw the writing on the wall before then. Just I mean, both those two programs have struggled most of the season, um, putting together some decent results sporadically uh, since that long summer break. But Devlin DeFrancesco, I, I, I guess the question to me is... Why not Carl Kirkwood is exactly. what you're asking. Yes. I don't know. Um, I mean, when you look at the lineup for next year, we feel like Meyer Shank will be set with Elio and, I don't know, Pagano. That's what we expect. Um, we kind of scoffed at the idea that was reported or speculated, um, you know, a month or two ago that Kyle Kirkwood would run with Meyer Shank as kind of a, you know, we don't have room for him at Andretti. Here are, you know, satellite partner team would run them i don't think I'm, that's how meyer shank wants to be but you know could he still have a shot at the 60 i don't i don't know because it's very bizarre that andretti autosport would not run kyle kirkwood because 
whether he wins the Indy Lights Championship or not, he's going to be an Indy car next year in some capacity. I think we can all agree on that, right? Yes. And remember in Marshall Pruitt's, one of his early silly season updates for next year, mentioned Kirkwood to Penske as a possibility in the fourth Penske. That's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> would, oh man, it's just so tough to see Team Penske roll out a second true rookie in two years when they never do such a thing. Yeah, and with McLaughlin, he's accomplished, obviously, in another series, whereas Kirkwood is coming up through the road to Indy ladder, and that's just not what Penske does when it comes to hiring drivers, is, is bringing a guy straight from the ladder. They wait. They let him develop. I mean, with Newgarden, it was several years until he switched to Penske uh, of his time in IndyCar. Won a couple races with... Ed Carpenter slash combination with Sarah Fisher, uh, th- those teams for a few years before he got the call up to Penske. So I, I just I don't see them going with Kirkwood right out of the gate like you said. But strange things have happened lately. Well, could we be seeing a look? We know Roger Penske has a lot more responsibility now than he did when he was just running Team Penske, right? And. Has he been trusting Tim Sindrick more and more? And I know he's been in his position of president of Penske Racing since, you know, it's been what, close to 15 years now, I want to say. Um, January of 06 is what it, what it is, according to Wikipedia. But is Tim Sindrick now being able to call the shots a little bit more and not take it to the boss, so to speak, now, as opposed to before the acquisition of IndyCar and IMS. And could that then be an indication that Tim Sindrick is more willing to bring in younger drivers? So could the could the you know, could the concept of Team Penske saying we're not going to run these talented young drivers, we're going to let other teams do it, could that philosophy be changing with Tim Sindrick? I mean, it very well could be because day-to-day operations of Team Penske, I don't think Roger Penske is really doing a whole lot there. And to be fair, rightfully so. He's working on the series. He's working on uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Obviously, he's also working on his companies outside of racing. Yes, they have ties to racing, but I mean, yeah, Penske yeah he's also rental. running Penske Corporation. Penske, yeah, he's you know, trying to get Penske a third dealership. He's trying to get more ovals. He's probably trying to convince Formula One at some point to come to. Like, there's a lot going on other than I got to focus, guys. Don't bother Roger today. He's trying to focus on his driver lineup for next year. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's happening anymore for Roger no. Penske, no. right? So, I, you know, that's a possibility. But I also think, you know, as we look at the landscape of IndyCar and we look at Chip Ganassi Racing can probably go out and hire drivers. Uh, we look at Andretti Autosport that can go out and hire drivers. We look at McLaren going out and hire drivers is the day at least you know temporarily or for long term is it gone that team penske is in a position to say whoever we want we're going to be able to go out and get it get them whenever we want and is that changing because of the other competitive teams highly competitive that can pay drivers to the level of a team penske 
Has that changed to the to then Team Penske thinking we cannot wait for these drivers to mature or be in the prime of their career because it's going to take an awful lot to pry them away from these teams. So could that be a fundamental shift in philosophy from Team Penske? I think the other thing that you have to ask back to Grosjean in in this article is this really a better seat at Andretti compared to where he's at with Dale Coyne Racing with Rick Ware Racing? It's a great question. You know, I, I don't think we have the answer. I don't think anyone can definitively say right now, you know, if it's truly better. Now, is it better IMS? Uh, of course Andretti's going to be the better opportunity for you IMS. But right. outside of that, it is a legitimate question. I mean, Ryan Hurray in the has been in the 28 car Going all the way back to, what, 2011, I think, was his first year in that car. And he's not won a race since the season finale in 2018 at Sonoma. He has had, let's see, one, two, three podiums in the season since then. Um, No better finish than eighth in points since 2019. Now, in 2018, he was fourth. But granted, Sonoma was double points at the finale. So that's going to help boost your, your finish Quite a bit. He's been 8th, 10th, and he's currently 16th this season with three races to go. Now, could he move forward with some consistent results? Yes, but it he's not going to finish the top 10, I guess is what I'm saying, unless he rips off, you know, three straight top fives and maybe wins or podiums in, in one or two of those, which, again, highly unlikely at this point. Right. It, it's a legitimate question if... That seat, the 28 car, is truly better. We we know that Herta is the number one guy at the team. Yes. And we know that Rossi was expected to be the number one guy going into last season, and Herta outperformed him then. He's outperforming him now, and Rossi has one year left on his contract. No one's going to be surprised if he leaves Andretti after next season. I think that's the expectation. And we wouldn't be surprised if he left after this season somehow. Correct. If the right opportunity presented itself, I think he would he would leave and go elsewhere. I I mean, what Grosjean's done in this first season, he has a pole, he has a couple of podiums, a solid first oval race in a, a car that, I mean, outside of getting caught on, you know, just pitting at the wrong time and getting lapped down, he, was, he had a top 10 car at Gateway easily. Right. I feel like long-term, when you look at past results, Andretti looks like the better play here for Romain Grosjean. And quite frankly, I bet the pay is a little bit better (laughs) at Andretti Autosport. So, you know, in terms of competing for championships, we've seen Andretti Autosport drivers do it. In terms of competing for Indianapolis 500 wins, we've seen Andretti Autosport do it. We've seen Dale Coyne Racing able to win a race here and there and compete here and there. But in terms of consistent results and oval wins, 500 wins, championships, Andretti is the play here. And it's not like Romain Grosjean is necessarily a young man. He's not... Mid-30s. He's not... Yeah, he's not TK or Elio either, but or Takuma Sato for that matter. But, um, you know, he's probably thinking short term in terms of, you know, what maximizes my ability to be consistently competitive in this series in the quickest amount of time. And if you take, you know, a, a healthy sample size, that is Andretti Autosport. But, you know, 
Whether they continue to struggle, I think, is an absolutely great question because we don't really have the answer to that. I mean, looking at past results, obviously you're going to choose Andretti. It's it's a given. They were part of the big three. I, I wouldn't say they're part of the big three anymore. Moving I don't think there forward, is a big three. Yeah, yeah, I would And, I, and I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to bring this up. I took exception to Marshall Pruitt's lead. Welcome to IndyCar's big three because I don't think there is a big three anymore. I You could push that there's a big four. But I, even that, I don't really like the moniker. Because, you know, what Ray Hall Letterman Landon's go, Lanigan's going, hey, what about us over here? We've won a couple Indy 500s in the last several years. So, um, yeah, I don't like the big three moniker because it's inaccurate at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree. To me, if I'm a driver, I would rather drive for Aero McLaren, Penske, Ganassi, throw in Ray Hall, possibly over Andretti's team. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, currently. I mean, and especially in terms of depth, you look at Penske, you look at Ganassi, I don't, n- not yet McLaren, but they're not far off from what Andretti's putting out consistently. It's Colton Herta nobody. Occasionally <laughs> yeah. Rossi. And he's not contending for wins. He may get a decent result, though, every now and then. Which, and it amazes me why the Olivier Boisson, I got to say it now, uh, thing was an issue. Because you would think that Andretti Autosport, in the the shuffling that they need to make, were probably eyeing their engineering crews as needing a shakeup. And I'm, you know, I'm initially kind of surprised that Andretti Autosport would, you know, at least at first say, no, that's not going to happen. Because I would think they would welcome, A, a change of philosophy in the engineering department and also keeping what has been a fruitful relationship together when you're bringing the driver over. I think a lot of people have focused, well, the driver lineup needs to change. And, well, yes, I mean, Hinchcliffe and Hunter Ray have struggled a lot this year and it just hasn't been there for those two cars but also i mean rossi's struggled the past couple of years he hasn't won a race since road america 2019 and i think it's clear that with crews with engineers with management i mean there's going to be a lot of changes with that team this offseason i would definitely agree and it's not just going to be you know in front with the driver lineup i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, crew changes. I think there's going to be a lot of philosophical, you know, philosophical co- changes within Andretti Autosport. It needs a com- complete revamp, in my opinion. And I, I think you build around Colton Herta at this point, and I feel like they think Romain Grosjean can be another one that they can build around. But we'll see because, you know, the results definitely haven't been there the last couple of years. And also, I think this move basically confirms that he'll be a full season driver next year not that that's a surprise we expected right. that but between him doing the the gateway race you know he's done an oval he's tested on an oval as well i think this all but assures that he will be one of the drivers trying to qualify for next year's indy 500 let's play the what if game here real quick and if we're looking at andretti autosports definitive lineup right now we're looking at herda Grosjean, and let's throw Rossi in there. Unless mm-hmm. something crazy happens, which you and I have discussed at length, wouldn't shock us. But those are the three. Now, they'll probably add a fourth, whether that's, you know, DeFrancesco, whoever. But let's just take those three. Herta, Rossi, Grosjean. Okay, those three. Against Penske's three, as of right now, New Garden, Power, 
McLaughlin, which three would you take? Penske. Okay. I mean, because you have any 500 winner and series champion and willpower. You have a multiple time series champion in new garden. And then Scott McLaughlin. I mean, he's young as far as driving in any car. Yes. He's not young. I mean, he's not 20 years old, but for a rookie season. Yeah. He's struggled at times, but he's also excelled at times. I mean, there's, there have been flashes. He's done really well on some of the ovals. He, he was excellent at, at gateway. I mean, part of that was just surviving the race. He was great. One of the Texas races, he had a, a second place and I think double top tens that weekend. So there is talent there. I think he'll continue to adjust. But I just, I mean, Newgarden is one of the top two or three drivers in in the series. Yeah. Herta is one of the top two or three drivers in the series. I think on a level playing field. Now, the results, he struggled this year. But I would not be surprised if he comes away with a win at Long Beach or Laguna Seca or Portland. I mean, three tracks where he's run well at in the past. So, I, yeah, I, I would go with Penske. So, moving on, we're taking those same three with Andretti. We're looking at Rossi, Herta, Grosjean, and we compare them to the Errol McLaren lineup next year, which we presume will be Pato Award, Rosenquist, probably, uh, yes, they're they're locked in. Yeah, finish. and then a third, which TBA? Uh, unlikely, but it could happen. So that's advantage Andretti, yes. if you look at that, okay? Yeah. So we'll go Andre- uh, advantage Andretti. Now let's compare them to Chip Ganassi, at least their top three. <laughs> when you look at Dixon, Pillow, and presumably Marcus Erickson. Ganassi, Who? not so even close. Yeah, so you're taking Ganassi. So with those, with those three... You know, three of the, you know, quote-unquote big four, if you want to talk about that, you're still looking at that lineup for Andretti Autosport and saying it's still not as good as Penske and it's still not as good as Chip Ganassi. And it's, I mean, the top end of Aero McLaren, obviously, Pato Ward is up there with some of the best guys currently in the series. I mean, there are five guys, I think, legitimately vying for, you know, being a top three driver right now in the series. You have Pato, you have Herta, you have... Pelo, Dixon, um, wow, who am I missing? Oh, Newgard. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So I, I just think, like you said, and your point is is well well thought because, yes, Andretti got better with this move. They're going to get better, but they're still not quite to the level of Penske or Ganassi. And I would still trust the – engineering crews and development of Penske and Ganassi over what Andretti Autosport. So despite that three-car lineup at least, and I know, you know, they may have others, you know, Penske may have a fourth, you know, obviously Ganassi's probably going to run Jimmy Johnson full-time, who knows, with TK and all that. But at least with your top three, I think you're still considerably off uh, with those top teams. So it's going to have to come you know, more so from behind the scenes type guys, development guys, engineering staff to really close that gap. All right. I think uh, there are a few other driver announcements that have occurred in the last week that definitely caught us off guard. Uh Uh-huh. And let's start, I think, with the one that was uh, more out of left field. I mean, I guess they all kind of were in, in a way. But let's start with Callum Eilat 
That is apparently yeah. how you pronounce it. He is an F2 driver. He'll drive the number 77 uh, Chevy for Hunkos Racing at Portland. Just Portland set for now. Sounds like his schedule won't make it work for him to run Laguna Seca in Long Beach. Um, but there's some interesting speculation that I saw on Twitter regarding him. And this came before the announcement he'd run for Hunkos. And, and ILAC completed a test Thursday at IMS on the road course uh, to get ready for Portland. I mean, obviously going to run a test. And Kyle Kaiser had run a test previously before for Hunkos, so you would think he'd still be in the conversation. But I came across this, and I, I don't know who this is. John Rosevier, um, senior auto analyst at The Motley Fool. But uh, this tweet regarding... I lot and, and naturally it just went away on my screen. Uh, but talking about his options for 2022, and we're thinking, okay, he's an F2. He's waiting for an IndyCar, or sorry, not IndyCar, but an F1 shot. Uh, he's a reserve driver for Alfa Romeo, and he's a test driver for Scuderia Ferrari. So um, John underscore Rosevier says. Ilot has a new deal for next year, but I'm told it isn't an F1. I think it's an IndyCar. Huh. So could there be more to this? And again, that came before the Hunkos announcement. And we, we think that his F1 options are already limited because the rumor George Russell will move from Williams to Mercedes. Valtteri Bottas will switch to Williams. Alex Albon also could be in line at Williams. Um... Botas, actually Botas at Alfa Romeo. That that's I'm getting them mixed up. And uh, Antonio Giovinazzi out at Alfa Romeo. Not sure who that other driver could be. Nicholas Latifi, probably out at Williams as well. Potentially, just kind of depends on the move. So a lot of moving parts. But it's the familiar guys that are they're just basically moving Shuffle. around yeah. musical chairs with the same people. There there might be one or two new guys let in, but I don't think Ilot has the funding in place to just buy a ride like a uh, Nikita Mazepin or Nicholas Latifi. I mean, I don't think he's got that kind of money. Well, then you him. have to keep an eye on Formula 2 this year. So, you know, it could be the winner of, you know, F2 this year that gets um, a shot. So, of course, that, you know, last year was Mick Schumacher. And, uh, you know, when you look at Callum Eilat, lost the championship in F2 to Schumacher by 14 points. And, uh, you know, Yoki Sonoda was also an F2 last year. And he jumps over Eilat. And, you know, not racing F2 this year. Just, um, you, know, res- you know, test driver. So, f- I've never heard of Callum Eilat before. I've not either. plenty of people have. And everyone says he's very fast. He basically... He belongs in F1. There's just not a seat for him. Yeah, three wins, six poles, six podiums, finished second in F2 in 2020. So, I mean, he's he's qualified to be in Formula 1, let alone IndyCar. He just hasn't had the opportunity. And, you know, when you, you hear what he had to say about the test, and he's coming around to IndyCar. He said he started paying attention to IndyCar going back to 2017 when Alonso first ran the Indy 500. And then kind of followed it more and more. And he, he raced against Christian Lungard uh, last year in F2. Yeah. So he's familiar 
with well, these guys who have made the switch. And you read the story, and and he's 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 name dropping. You know what kind of made this you know you know kind of uh, attractive? He said, "Well, it started with Fernando Alonso coming over." And then he starts naming guys, you know, from Erickson to Rosenquist to Grosjean. And, you know, maybe the it, we didn't appreciate the impact of Fernando Alonso in the moment. We were more excited that it was Fernando Alonso that came over to run IndyCar. And maybe it's something that we didn't fully appreciate at the time that he just opened the door for a lot of other guys to entertain this. And we're seeing that pay dividends now. Right. And between that and the fact that you could do everything right in the European ladder and go up from, you know, F3 to F2, and there's just only a certain number of seats. And, uh, you know, some of those seats are pure ride buys, you know, so you're limited even more. And, you know, there's no delusion here. Callum Eilat still wants to race Formula One, but if his path to F1 is better served, by racing IndyCar instead of being a test and reserve driver, then he's going to do it. And I, it sounds like that's a path that he wants to take. And w- interesting notes from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star uh, on the test. Uh, Eilat saying that he spoke with a couple of IndyCar teams about a, about a ride at the end of last year, but things were too last minute. So he's had these discussions before. Also, he name-dropped Rosenquist, who he raced against, I believe, in F3. But in regards to 22, uh, Eilat says, most of the time that's decided by other people. That's the sad part about it. I'll have to see after Portland, but this is one that is growing more and more on me. And then uh, adding on running more races in 21, it's a bit of a stretch because it's so last minute, unlikely, but we'll have to see. And um, he says his specialty is qualifying. So they're just trying to get a result. And It's a one-car team. They haven't competed in, in a couple of years. It's a tough hill to climb, but, I mean, it's a road course, and he'll have an opportunity. If his specialty in, is qualifying, should Rahal Letterman Lanigan hire him to qualify Graham Rahal's car? <laughs> and then I knew Graham. you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> you did? Dang, I was so predictable. Dang it. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, it's just the latest example of, you know, the – the brick wall that is getting to Formula One in Europe is is growing bigger and thicker every year, seemingly. And if you don't know the right people, if you don't bring the enough money, uh, if you don't get don't maximize your opportunity, it may just be one opportunity that you have. Then the door shut, and there is always the next hotshot driver come up, coming up. There's the next. High fi- highly financed driver coming up, and and you know the the seats are limited, and so it you know it may have claimed another victim, and it's unfortunate for F one, but it could be IndyCar's benefit. And the other note uh, that Nathan Brown had, um, the team is known to be interested in sports car and former F one driver Felipe Nasser. Now remember. We he keep was, hearing that. It's like yeah. a yearly thing here. Well, he was set to test with Carlin, and then the pandemic happened, and uh, yeah. he was set to run with them, and then that kind of ended it. And then also, of, of course, Kyle Kaiser mentioned as well, he did a, a test earlier this year. So those are the other names to keep on the radar for Hunkos. I think I would be surprised if Kaiser is not in, you know, for one of the races for Hunkos at the end of the year. 
I would too, but at the same time, if Kaiser's not in their long-term plans, then why would they put him in there? True. So I think if Eilat has a good performance this week, and I'm not talking top 10 or whatever, like if he keeps the car intact, builds a rapport with the team, if they look at him and say, hey, this, this could be something here, let's run him again. See if we can continue to build this relationship. Then I, I could see him running at least one more race this season, maybe all three. Yeah, again, it just kind of depends on his availability. And I've read mixed things. I, I mean, some of them make it sound like there's no way he can make it work due to scheduling, and others make it sound like he would like to to do it if the opportunity presents itself. But sounds like a mixed bag if I mean, he can participate. The thing is, though, is, and, and I honestly don't know the answer to this question, when's the last time someone got a shot in IndyCar and said, you know what, it's not for me? Or I'm going to give it a shot. They race and say, no, I'm good. I can't tell you. I'm sure there has been. I'm just saying. I I've highly doubt that Callum Eilat gets into the car this week, you know, next weekend in Portland and emerges and is interviewed, you know, either a Sunday after the race or Monday or whatever and says, eh, it wasn't what I expected. <laughs> um, I'm really not a fan. I'm going to head back to Europe. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I would be shocked for that to happen. <laughs> so in, in my mind, uh, Callum Eilat's going to have uh, a time of his life. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully he feels competitive. Hopefully you know he, he senses an opportunity, and it's not a one-and-done situation for Callum Eilat. I, unless something magical happens for an opportunity overseas for 2022, I expect him to be in the series in some capacity next year. Yeah, well, according to that one uh, auto blog or whatever site, I mean, I mean, it was a rep- it was a, a somewhat reputable yeah site. I mean, I know you can't always go off followers, but you know, you kind of look for that blue check mark, and then if you don't see that, you go for the followers, right? And he had both. Yeah, so I feel like it's a reputable reputable site. So it's kind of out of left field, but then the more more research you do on ilot the more you kind of look at it and say yeah he's he fits that mold of i'm out of options overseas let's try indycar and it's worked for several drivers that have come over he could just be the latest one and unlike drivers that Hunkos has hired in in the past you know alfonso Solis jr renee bender no one's questioning callum ilot's aptitude i mean this is a top level guy he is a kid that um, it seems as if has been destined to be a Formula One driver. And unfortunately, he is not getting the opportunity. Whether that's right or wrong, he's not. And so IndyCar has become in the last several years that, that option. And, you know, the more parity we see, the more... Um, you know, competitiveness we see in IndyCar and the less we see in Formula One, I think it's going to be even greater. That's why I think next year could be very pivotal, not just for Formula One, but also the future of IndyCar is, look, if we still have the immense um, disadvantage that some of these teams are faced with in 2022 in Formula One, I definitely could see more exodus from the sport. And not just drivers, but, you know, could be, I don't know, you know, teams, but, you know, potentially, uh, you know, people with deep pockets. 
Um, seeing it with Uncas right yeah, now. Yeah, like we were seeing it with, with Uncas. Like, you know, and we, we kind of, you know, there's, there's been we were looking at certain drivers like Fernando Alonso, like he's just sticking around for next year. And if nothing has changed, then he's not going to stay. And then we could see him back in IndyCar. And, you know, you look at Haas. Haas is banking on 2022 to not be a backmarker. And what happens with that team if they still are next year? So um, if, if they, if Formula One does not fix the problem with haves and have nots, I think you're only going to see even a greater exodus from Europe. Going to IndyCar. Another driver announcement. Charlie Kimball will be back for Long Beach. Good old Charlie. Kind of random. Yeah, this one very surprising. Uh, He will drive the number 11 Traceba Chevy for AJ Foyt. And I guess his de facto home race. I mean, it's not really kind of his home race. Um, But congrats to him. I Honestly, I thought once he failed to qualify for the Indy 500, I mean, outside of maybe putting together another indie entry for next year, I mean, I thought that was kind of it. I agree, and it's really it's it's good to see him back. Um, you know, what does this mean long term for AJ Foyt? I think maybe that's the bigger question for Foyt Racing because initially, when you told me this, I I thought, okay, Kellett's out, Kimball's in, but no, this is a third car. We've heard rumblings of Foyt entertaining a third car for 2022. Is that jump-starting this? Is it, okay, we're going to bring the staff on, or we have the staff in-house. We're going to get them one race here to end the season to kind of you know, work the kinks out a little bit as we head into the off-season as we're going to expand and have three crews and three engineers and three crew chiefs, all that? Is, is this kind of a test run to off-season expansion? potentially Caleb and and Kimball was full-time with the team last year so it's not like he's that far removed from full-time competition in IndyCar he was part-time with Carlin in 2019 full-time with Carlin in 18 and then before that he's with Ganassi for a few years uh, to start out his IndyCar career won a race at mid-Ohio back in 2013 um could it be as simple as hey could we get another competitive driver out there to get his data (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you I, laugh, but I mean, going to the off season, can we get you know an extra set of data? But to me, it says, hey, we have this relationship. You know, you were you ran last year. You mind coming and and racing, and you bring in some money, and we want to run, th- run three cars next year. We kind of want to, you know, start a little bit early with this group and get a race under its belt, and you know, see the the concerns we have. You mind, you know, jumping in the seat? Well, we expect Ward A to be back. If the team wants him back, which I would yeah. think they would. And then Dalton Kellett's not going to qualify for the a leader circle spot. At least we don't think so, unless something drastic changes for these final three races. Kimball, a one-off at Long Beach. They had Tatiana Calderon uh, test with the team earlier this summer behind Rocket, which is Bourdais' primary sponsor. Which I was, you know, I'm still hoping for Tatiana because, A, I think it'd be cool for another woman full-time to be in the series. And outside of Olivier Bosson, she has the second most exciting name to me to say. <laughs> I would love to be able to say that on a daily or on a weekly basis. That's another valid point. It is fun to say. <laughs> I worry about the important stuff. <laughs> how, how fun is it to say their name? Yes. That and that really should matters. be a key point in hiring drivers is if it's between <laughs> a and b which name do you like saying more 
So and you're saying Charlie Kimball doesn't really excite no, you a whole lot. No, but Tatiana Calderon absolutely checks that box. <laughs> Do you think we'll see Kimball with Foyt next year in a full-time capacity? Uh, I don't know. Um, they've kind of like been there, done that kind of thing, haven't they? I mean, yeah. as recently as last year. I think if Kimball could bring the budget, um, that they would entertain it, I feel. But it seems like, you know, he went from a fully funded car, you know, years ago to, you know, they've, his sponsor has kind of been dropping, dropping, dropping. But if they have renewed interest in investing for maybe half a season or, or whatever, then maybe, maybe that really helps out, you know, close the gap and potentially leads to something for 2022. Okay. So. That's one of the other announcements, and moving on to another driver announcement, this one also for 2021. Oliver Askew will be back. He'll drive the number 45 Hy-V car for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing for the final three races of the season at Portland, Laguna Seca, and Long Beach. I think this is a, a good-for-Oliver move. It'll help him try to nail down something for next year. I mean, you expect him to have a shot at least for the Indy 500, Full-time ride, I think, really just comes down to funding and, you know, what is available. But it's kind of a weird deal with that third seat. So Ferrucci ran really well, but they went in a different direction. And it's not like Ferrucci isn't available right now. He is. Yeah. And Askew, obviously, well, I don't think would be a part of the seat because we've heard Jack Harvey rumored for so long to be taking that seat for next year. Although we haven't heard much recently. True. Unless IndyCar Deep Throat has some new news. We'll get to that. Yeah, so it's it's good for Oliver to have an opportunity to kind of set himself up for results next year. I think it's just it's kind of a weird deal if indeed this is Jack Harvey's seat. It doesn't really matter who Ray Hall runs. They just want to have someone competent if they're able to, to steal a leader circle spot for next year with that 45 car. And maybe that's their goal right now is to get that leader circle at this point. Um, I don't know. It's um, it, it's a great opportunity for Oliver Askew, that's for sure, to showcase what he can do. And you could say, well, he got enough opportunities at McLaren. Um, but, you know, he was already in the seat once this year, Road America. I mean, maybe I really feel if Hy-Vee and Hy-Vee is going to be on board next year, I almost feel like that has to be a permanent driver. I don't think they want to rotate drivers through, through that Hy-Vee car. Oh no. Be- you know, because we saw the activation already with Santino Ferrucci with Hy-Vee, we saw in their stores, you know, here and there, some cardboard cutouts of Santino Ferrucci. They don't have to be replacing that every two weeks with somebody else that's in the seat. So, um, you know, it, uh, this this whole this silly season and running guys late, it would be a lot easier to talk about if the dry, if the teams would just say what's going on. And <laughs> I know they're never going to, but, you know, it'd be refreshing to say, hey, we're putting Oliver Askew in the seat for three races. We really have no interest running him next year. We just kind of want to try to get that leader circle money or, you know, we promised this person or that, that company here and Hy-Vee was interested in Oliver and we're just kind of, you know, uh, you know, humoring them for these three rates. Like, it would be so much easier to break these things down if these teams were honest. But that's never going to happen. Oh, no. No, that's not in their nature at all. <laughs> no. you got to be very secretive, not. especially when it comes to driver contracts and movement. That's just how the sport has operated for a very long time. Yeah. But, you know, if they were, if every team was forthright with what they were doing, a lot of the podcasts would be like eight minutes long. 
True. Because we have no speculation whatsoever. <laughs> we we thrive on speculation. Yes, absolutely. International races, third OEMs. Yes, especially, you know, with coming off, you know, where we got a little bit of a break or definitely in the off season. That's that's what we live on. That's yes, that is what we're all about. Okay, so the last kind of driver news, and this is not like a, a change or anything, is that we finally uh had Jimmy Johnson test an IndyCar on an oval for the first time. At Texas earlier this week, uh, report is he got up to about 48, uh, or not 48, wow, 214. <laughs> he got up to 48 car, miles an yeah, hour. 48 miles an hour. No, his car number's 48. I was I looking at that. I don't think he's going to pass the rookie test. <laughs> um, so Jimmy Johnson, about 214 miles an hour, tested early Monday morning. It was an interesting deal. They got going at like 6 a.m. and then were out of there by lunchtime wow. because he had an obligation for the American Legion in, in Phoenix. So okay. early morning test, the heat indices got up to about 100 by the time they were done. Um, seemed like it was successful. I mean, conditions yeah. were cool early on and then heated up like you would expect I mean, when you're the only one on the track, unless you crash, you'd say, you know, it went well. <laughs> <laughs> True. And there are no reports that he crashed. So I think that's the positive. I think the the question marks now are, what does this mean for next year? And then you, you get into the speculation about, well, we, we know there's going to be a Firestone test at IMS coming up. Uh, in October, and it'll be October 8th, viewing mounds open for fans. Hey, hey. We expect Roman Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson, I mean, they could be there. We expect them to be there. They could do their uh, rookie program at IMS. And again, Johnson has had an oval test. Obviously, Grosjean has. This is kind of the, the next thing. And, and they'll test cars at the 2023 weight spec. At IMS, according to uh, David Malsher Lopez of Motorsport.com. Yeah, that may be the most inter- you know fascinating aspect of the test. You would think this test will be streamed on Peacock, and they'll have a lot of coverage, assuming Jimmy Johnson and Grosjean participate. Which I that would, will be the draw. Yes, which I would def- most definitely assume that they would. So with that, I think we kind of get to questions about, I mean, do we really think Johnson will be full-time next year. I, I tend yes. to think he will be, and his deal is for longer than what was reported out there. I mean, we had heard, I think, from IndyCar Deep Throat that his deal is for three years, and Johnson basically says, I'll keep doing this as long as I have the sponsorship and, and Chip will run me. Um, it sounded very positive in terms of moving forward, and, and Jimmy says, if I were to come back in 23... Uh, he expects expectations to, to go up. 22? No, this is 23. 23 he's talking? Yeah. Okay. So so year two of doing a full season yes. is what he's insinuating. And hinted at running all the oval events next year, the Indy 500, Texas, Iowa, and Gateway. And the comments that he made after Texas, again, you know, he did it. Sounds like he enjoyed it. So I don't think it's going to be an issue going forward for him to do all of the races outside of his wife telling him no can do. But I think the the arrow screen comes in huge. We've seen it work time and again. And, you know, you can debate whether it's saved 
you know drivers' lives, but it's definitely prevented some serious injuries that could have happened. That's for sure. And I feel like that enhancement has you know pushed the door open further for drivers that want to try other disciplines. I I would have a hard you would have a hard time convincing me that we would be seeing the amount of drivers coming from Europe over here to give IndyCar a try if it was still a pure open open cockpit car. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because I mean outside of Alonso, these guys weren't coming over unless their options had completely run out. And to be fair, that's why Grosjean came over, but he he had the arrow screen cuz he wasn't going to do ovals and then well, he's done an oval, and we expect him to be full-time next year. Erickson came over. His options ran out. Rossi came over. His options ran out. Sato was kind of in transition time much earlier than these other drivers. And who am I missing on the F1 front? And Rosenquist throw in there? Uh, I mean, he wasn't F1. True. Yeah. Erickson the, 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 talked about? Yeah. The, the arrow screen, I think, is the key thing, like you said, and getting these drivers to come over and – try road course racing and then they get curious whether they see the Indy 500 or they're at another oval race they get curious and they want to try it out and this is kind of how it works and right now it's working well absolutely and i feel you know i i think it goes without saying but the aero screen now looks normal the entire the entire cockpit to me is normal and I mean, my, I may be different, and some people will probably say, "Oh, and it's never gonna. I'm never gonna get used to it, or never gonna look normal." It looks like an indie car to me. Yeah, I've gotten used to it after this year. I mean, last year it was one. I think it stuck out. You don't have fans. The atmosphere is different. You're kind of more focused on it this year. Like, yes, you see it there, but it looks more like a part of the car. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's locked in for sure it's just seamless and it's going to look even more seamless you know with with the new design when you build it around the aero screen or at least factor it in all right you ready for uh the the rumor mill oh yeah okay so these are all from indycar deep throat um a lot to get to and it starts with toronto and it's not very positive (laughs) okay not Uh, good yeah, not not good. So with Toronto, um, Toronto dropped for good is uh, kind of the the scuttlebutt up there. A couple of news outlets, CBC, Global, et cetera, have mentioned the likelihood of the race returning to the streets of Toronto is all but done. Uh, rumor is that Circuit Gilles Villeneuve could be the replacement race. Uh, sounds like a track replacement would happen. So that is the, the first thing. For 2022? Yes. Hmm. I mean, I think we'd all be surprised if Toronto comes back. Uh, Yeah, maybe it's just me holding out. I want it to come back. It's a race I usually enjoy. Yeah, but um, I've never watched a race at Circuit de Villeneuve. That's the F1 track. Right. I I can't. They didn't have the Canadian race last year, right? Uh, No. So I, I you know, that's kind of when I start first start watching every race. It's got some really long lawn. straights. It's a really cool track, and is is it like on an island or? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 an interesting tr- track. Canadian listeners and, and fans, please message us um, what you think will happen there if you have any insight. Okay, so a lot more on the driver front. Okay, bring it. 
Ed Carpenter Racing looks to have two full-time cars next year and one part-time oval car for Ed. Smart. <laughs> I think I a got. lot of people will be Smart. happy with that. Um, but, you know, yeah, maybe it took the right sponsorship to you know get those two cars, you know. I, you know, I'm not going to keep hating on Ed for that decision to not do that, but maybe financially it finally made sense. Andretti will have a shakeup with their engineers and a lot of the staff for 2022. That's not surprising. Nope. Max Chilton out at the end of the year. Carlin uh, will have two open slots for 2022. Connor Daly front runner for one of the full-time seats. So they're going to run two full-time, or are they going to split? I, I mean, they've given off indications that they want to run two. I would think it will be... Someone currently in in IndyCar, and then someone coming over from Europe for another seat that has a budget. That's what I expect. I hope Carlin has found other avenues of revenue. We've talked about it before. I feel like in many ways they were held hostage by Max Chilton, or more more his dad, in terms yeah, with, of financials. with Gallagher. And I think hopefully Carlin has figured it out that, look, for us to progress, we cannot continue to do this. And that's no ma- knock on Max Chilton. He's just not a good IndyCar driver. And he doesn't take Carlin, you know, to the next level. So hopefully they make that change. Hopefully they're able to find the financial backing to do it and and do it competently. All right, next, Colton Herta could be an option for Penske in 2023, the end of his Andretti contract. <laughs> yeah. That goes back to, you know, maybe we're still in the old days where Penske can just Hire whoever they want. Yeah, I mean, they still can. Uh, Tony cannot not confirm for next year with CGR, but will more than likely race the 500 for them. Which, yeah, I think that's fair. Makes sense. If Jimmy runs full-time, I would think they'd run an extra car for Tony for the 500, but that would probably be it. Right. Uh, Best chance for a third OEM. Who do you think it is? Huh. There are two that we've mentioned on this podcast before. And so, it's one of those two. Toyota? Yes, you're correct. That, to me, makes the most sense. A third OEM needs to be confirmed by next summer, if it will even happen for 2023. Roger Penske has his team working on the project. Man, that seems like still That's a lot. a tight like, timeline. Summer of 22 to be ready for March 23? I don't know. Yeah. By it, that timeline. And then... Next, the 2022 season schedule still being worked on at the moment because a few races still not confirmed. I think that's obvious. I mean, if we if we believe the t- t- Toronto news and trying to get Circuit J, how do you say it? Circuit Jill J Villeneuve? Villeneuve. Jill Villeneuve. Okay. Yeah. So it's they would. A Jacques, I want to say his uncle. Gotcha. The late Jill Villeneuve. Um, but one of the tracks, one one of the races next year could be in. Oh, God. <laughs> Here we go. Mexico. Yes. Hey, hey. Wow, you're two for two. So Stop the podcast now. <laughs> so I, I did a little digging, and I found an old motorsport article from David Malsher Lopez from May 8th, 2017. Headline, China, Mexico among four possible new IndyCar races. Now, in this article, story. they discuss race in china obviously that never happened and probably is never going to happen also mentioned in this article return to portland which has Check happened uh, proposed race in calgary alberta canada uh that rick peterson was behind that has not worked out and then the last one 
a race in Central America, um, and it was believed, and Miles didn't confirm, the, and this says the most likely new venue for 2018, Miles said, was a race in Central America. Again, this is going back to a 2017 article. Um, refused to confirm it. It was believed to be the 1.25-mile oval in Puebla, Mexico, 100 miles southeast of the Mexico City track, which is Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, I believe. Yeah. Um, Mexico City, you remember, a few years before then, was rumored to join the IndyCar schedule as a possibility. That went away, and then it kind of has come back here and there. Now, the questions with that oval track... Number one, as far as I can recall, does not have safer barriers. So that's a problem. <laughs> that's that's a major sticking point and a major <laughs> problem. It would be another shorter oval, so that would be interesting. Obviously, you would think they could draw a decent amount of fans, but it doesn't seem like IndyCar is caught on in Mexico to the level that people would think. You know, with Pato having success now, if he wins the championship, I think that may you know, obviously create a lot more buzz. And that may be what it takes. Well, too, and it's, you know, his first real competitive season for a championship was last year, and with everything going on, was it lost kind of in the shuffle? So this year's performance, does that make a bigger impact, potentially? Um, not really sure. But, you know, the F1 race this year, supposedly, will be at in Mexico, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. So that's the the track in Mexico City, but the oval is where Puebla, Mexico, hundred miles. I think it said southeast of Mexico. But City. But that doesn't have safer barriers. Well, uh, last I knew, it didn't. I, I last mean, time you were there. Up, <laughs> yeah, my last visit, they didn't have safer <laughs> barriers. But uh, so that that is the the latest on there. That's just from looking it up. I couldn't determine whether there were safer barriers there or not, but. I would be surprised, I guess, is all I'm saying. Looking at right now, the Autodromo Internacional Miguel E. Abed racing track. Um, let's see here. It is. It has a road course portion. The oval is 1.28 miles. The race lap record is held by Daniel Suarez. Ah. For in the NASCAR Peak Mexico series. Um. Looking at the track view right now, uh, yeah, it is indeed an oval. Uh, it's shaped kind of like Mar, yeah, kind of like Martinsville, like like pay- paperclip, but obviously bigger than Martinsville. Um, its capacity is not listed. Uh, opened in 1985, so I mean. That'd be wild. I, not just to go to Mexico, but to go for an oval track. But we know that Roger Penske was looking at ovals and, you know, thinking outside the box. They got an oval in Mexico. We feel like we can sell uh, with Pato Award, you know, worth a shot. And, you know, it may be a strike when the iron's hot type thing, too, with Pato Award. Because when we look at it, is he a potential Formula One guy in a couple years? could very well likely be well if you agree or disagree with us we'd love for you to interact you can find us at newtrackrecordpodcast.com while you're there sign up for our weekly email list also you can interact with us on social media our twitter handle is indycar podcast on facebook uh, follow us just search for new track record you can also send us an email newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com 
And you can find us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, all for free. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag. Bring it. And not a whole lot because, well, not a whole lot was going on in the the past week for obvious reasons. We didn't have a race to recap or anything like that. True, true. So uh, going back, so this is from ScubaSteve85. Uh, this in regards to Robin's story on uh, the split ending, you know, on those early reports we talked about last week. Uh, I remember when the story dropped about the upcoming unification. I just got back to my dorm room. Uh, I went to college with Steve. Uh, when an excited Caleb Hatch came blasting in at about 80 miles per hour asking <laughs> if I had heard the news. Yeah, that was a very exciting time because I enjoyed IndyCar, but I don't think I got to the level of enjoying IndyCar that I do now. Because to me, it was just kind of like, well, as long as the split's still going on, is there really much of a point? Yeah, and once that was gone... Everything changed. Exciting. Except not really, because there was a global recession (laughs) a year later. (laughs) Womp womp. Yeah. Yeah. You win some, you lose some. Uh, This poll, which race was worse? Uh, NOLA, you know, for IndyCar, NOLA Motorsports Park, or Spa over the weekend (laughs) for Formula One, the two-lap... Parade with a safety car. Eighty-seven uh, percent of you said Spa. Now I, sh- I'm sure there's a lot of recency bias factored into that, but but at least there was well, quote unquote, racing at NOLA. Correct. There was no racing at Spa. Responses it? here: You have Poet Shevchenko saying Spa easily with NOLA. At least there was an attempt, and that fans came out to try and get one of the, uh, one of the cars unstuck. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher just sent psst with the picture of the uh, US GP in 2005, <laughs> <laughs> the start of the all, what, five cars, six cars on the grid. Uh, Scuba Steve 85 said Nola at the very least had some racing. Spa was a joke. And then uh, Nick J. Fletcher also tweeted a link to uh, the Indy 300 Gold Coast crash at the start. That was cart, and what year was that? They had the botch start Nine, at Surfers. 90. I, I can't remember. Uh, me neither. 98, I want to say. But I mean, it's a massive crash at the start. Yeah. A uh, lot of responses on Grosjean to Andretti, confirmed by Racer. Pochevchenko, how does Dale Coin make his team a place drivers want to go to? Huh. I, I mean, I, I don't think he can really do a whole lot more. I think right. he's made it an attractive place for people to start out and have an opportunity, but unless you're going to pay a lot more, like you said earlier, I mean, there's right. just no way for him to be competitive with the Penske's, Ganassi's, Andretti's, Ray Hall's, Aaron McLaren, SP's, you know, those kind of teams. Yeah. It's tough to compete for sure, but he's done so much with so little. Uh, 2002 was that gold coast 300 race okay i, I would have guessed 2003 close but not close enough uh jamin t14 good for him he's the number two on that team next year pushing rossi down one more rung on the ladder <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean going into it yes that would be the expectation uh nick j fletcher says still to understand how kyle kirkwood is slipping through aa's fingers and follow that up with Someone else and uh, said, Bill uh, Hesse said, any insight on the reports that he didn't hit it off with the sponsors that in regards to Kirkwood? Yeah, I saw those rumors out there. I, I, I've i heard nothing 
regarding the sort of that. But that is fascinating. I mean, why would they not bring in Kirkwood? It just it doesn't make sense. There has to be a reason. Right. I, I'm racking my brain trying to figure it out. Like, did they – are they still planning on running him? I don't know. Maybe they're going to have two rookies that, that, to me, would make sense. But you would pick Kirkwood over DeFrancesco. Are they pawning him off to – uh, Meyer Shank is he going to Penske? Is he going overseas? I have no idea what's going on with Carl, Kyle Kirkwood at this point. Kyle Kirkwood F one, maybe that's yes. why. That's <laughs> why um, uh, Callum uh, Ilot is coming over here because Kyle Kirkwood stole his seat with Scuderia Ferrari. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's very bizarre. <laughs> uh, Zach Hurley 8771 says so I guess there are no contract sticking points remaining initiate booze boo <laughs> very nice <laughs> someone else said Dave J. Andrews said let us wait and see <laughs> patience uh, these great jokes <laughs> uh, continuing on with punny jokes Jamin T14 says let me askew a question like let me ask you a question uh, sorry, uh, too easy. Does he drive to the level of the other two drivers of the 45 this season? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Ferrucci excelled yep. in his handful of races. Lungard was phenomenal in qualifying. He faded back in the race. I don't think that was a big surprise. Yeah. Still finished 12th. You know, I'm going to say no. It's tough to live up to it because they've looked impressive. So I, I hope he does. But, man, the other guys they put in... You know, Ferrucci bringing home top, top tens. Lungard looking phenomenal and qualifying, falling off in the race. Um, but it, it's it, it's another indicator too of Oliver Askew's racing prowess because the two guys prior to him in this seat have you know looked pretty impressive. You know he's got to continue to go going because I feel like I don't want to say this is his last opportunity, but it may be his last best opportunity to land a full time ride in IndyCar. Yeah, he's going to have to put together some solid results to try to set himself up for next year. And again, we could see him at the Indy 500 next year, but anything more than a partial schedule would be a surprise right now. Yeah, absolutely. Unless he just knocks the socks off out of somebody with these three races. All right, a couple of tweets here from Nick J. Fletcher. Uh, Fun fact, if Pato wins the championship this year, it will be the second time in 25 years a car not entered by Penske and Dredd and Ganassi won their primary series open wheel title, 2002 being the other year. Can you name the uh, teams and drivers that didn't that weren't from Penske or Ganassi? Yeah, so who won uh, Cart and who won IRL in 2002? Uh, I'm not even that... sure on uh, IRL for or sorry for Cart for a 2002. Uh, you don't know IndyCar either? I know IndyCar. Um, and it's not a Penske? Ganassi or Andretti, yeah. 2002, IRL. Um, I think I know Cart before I know IndyCar. Okay. Was it, um, what's his name? The Brazilian. Not Jankara. Yes. You're correct. Demata? Yes, correct. And that was Newman Haas. Okay. And then you uh, in IRL, so you 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 give up your guesses. IRL two thousand two. I have no idea. Wait, let me think. I just had an epiphany. <laughs> I 
So I think it was, um, two thousand two. Was yeah. it? Didn't Hornish win? Yeah, but he wasn't with. Not with Penske then. Not with Penske. Yeah. Okay, that was my bad. Because I was thinking Sam Hornish won, but then I always associate his titles uh, with Penske. So he was with what Panther? Panther. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. This also from Nick J. Fletcher. Uh, I'm sure he still won't get a fair shake. A series of bizarre incidents will keep him from showing his talent. I'm guessing a red during quals at Portland, so no transfer. Grid penalty for something weird in Monterey. Hit from behind. And lap <laughs> one, turn one at Long Beach. That, talking about Oliver Askew. Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully he has better luck. Hopefully he gets a better pep talk when he gets into the seat than that. Doesn't matter what you do, Oliver. Somebody's going to screw it up for you. <laughs> And then finally, he said, uh, AJ Foy Enterprises will have a full winter to rebuild from crash damage that weekend, so why not? <laughs> Talking about the three entries man. at Long Beach. Brutal. Brutality. Hey, man, Dalton Kellett kept it clean at Gateway. He was excellent at Gateway. He just stayed out of trouble at Gateway. Hey, sometimes. He survived. Uh, what is the, the quote? In order to first finish? Or in, in order to in order finish, finish first, first, you must, must first finish. finish. And uh, or, you Rick know, Mears, right? In order to finish in the top 15, <laughs> you, know. you must avoid every other incident. <laughs> Just don't get caught up in everybody else's mistakes. See, he d- couldn't even avoid every incident. But he did finish in the lead lap, so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this also interesting uh, from Poet Shevchenko. I was watching a David Lane's video, and he mentioned that the reason Jimmy Johnson moved his test from Homestead to Texas Motor Speedway was because Homestead was going to be on the 22 IndyCar schedule, but dropped off. I uh, would have looked forward to that. Yeah, IndyCar Deep Throat told us, uh, I think after Gateway, that, that yeah, Homestead that was, was a be... possibility. So that must have changed well in the past week or so. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, if that's true, unfortunately, we lost Homestead. But I just don't see the draw down there for that race. Um, but maybe, you know... Playing devil's advocate, could it have been the fact that Texas simulates Indy a little bit better than Homestead does? Yeah, I I guess. I think to me, what I liked about having Homestead being a possibility is you're probably going to have a gap between St. Pete's and Barber. And this would fill having a a race, you know, maybe the, the next weekend or take a week off and then a race and then Barber. And they're all in the same, I mean, area, kind of. I mean, you I have St. Pete, then you go to Homestead, and then you go up and over to, to Barber. Yeah, I understand. You, geographically makes sense. And a place that you can have an early oval, um, you know, weather-wise, you know, that was kind of the driving force with Phoenix is, oh, you know, we can have an early oval, and it just never worked, you know, crowd-wise. I just, you know, I don't see the draw for people down there for Homestead. Yeah, I, it's just, and it's not as remote as it used to be, mind you, but it just always Still, seems just, so far away I, from, from everything. I don't want to add an oval purely just to add an oval. I want to add an event or events that have a chance to sustain themselves for a period of time. I think Iowa done right. Look, the crowds were, were you know never absolutely horrible. At Iowa, they dropped off, but it was still, you know, fair, decently crowd. So I feel like IndyCar has a, could have a long-term future there. Uh, Mexico, if that's a thing, could potentially be 
uh, maybe the same same way. Could they, they could have a future there. You know, Homestead just doesn't strike me. Homestead strikes me as a one year stopgap to add an additional oval to the schedule. And it's not like IndyCar is desperate to go to 1.5 mile tracks. <laughs> no. And it's not, you know, it's a hotbed of IndyCar. We look at the, the ratings and, you know, I just, you know, I don't buy it. All right. So that wraps up the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us, Facebook message us, or send us an email, and we'll get to those in the following week's episode. All right. There's not a lot of news and notes, but a quick shout out to Miles Rowe and the uh, Force Indy team as yeah, they won one of the USF 2000 uh, races uh, last weekend at New Jersey Motorsports Park. So first win for, for him, first win for the team. Really, really cool deal. Uh, he had a great pass for the win. And this is getting, I think, a lot of attention and the attention that it deserves uh, in IndyCar and the racing community as a whole. Well, I think it shows you know, tangible results with Roe and, you know, he's not just, you know, being picked because of his skin color to be put in the seat. The kid actually has talent. That's how you continue in the road to Indy. And, you know, getting that win, I think legitimizes uh, the, the, you know, him in a lot of ways. And it's, it's similar to, you know, females in the sport until they make an impact, until they get a race win, they're always kind of going to be looked at as, you know, they're only in their seat because of who they are. So I think it's an absolutely huge step for Miles Rowe and the entire program. And hopefully it continues. And, you know, do we see him step up to the next step of the ladder next year? I'm not sure. I, I think maybe he could benefit from another year where he's at. But it's an absolutely great first step to see and legitimately, genuinely excited about the win. And I know a lot of people around the IndyCar uh, series were excited as well. All right. Well, we're already to that point. Anything that we missed? I don't think so. I think it was a relatively quiet week, all things considered. I still think we're kind of waiting for that. You know, it's we're always you know salivating for Marshall Pruitt's next big silly season update, and we were hoping we would get it this week before the podcast. But it looks like we're going to be waiting just a little bit longer. And you know, next week's a race week. We'll have plenty to discuss. Yes. I'm sure we'll have a lot more announcements. I mean, we had a lot of driver announcements that were unexpected this week. Yes, you know, we're, we you know when we said okay, we're going to find some things out between now and Portland. We said that last week. You know, we found some things out, but it wasn't what we were thinking would happen. So, which is which is great. It's cool because we still have a lot to figure out. All right. Well, it's time for I think one of our favorite parts of the show. Our random split era driver of the week. Who do you have I for had me this him, week? I him, and then I lost him. Hold on. <laughs> he left the building. Uh, let me click around here. Let me find him. I had him his his driver profile up and ready. Um, where'd he go? There he is. Why do I always go to Dale Coin Racing? <laughs> because it's it's an easy easy choice. Uh, you remember Alex Sparafico? Who? Alex Sparafico or A- Alex Sparafiso. He's from uh, uh, a Brazil, of course, the hotbed of racing, a Brazilian driver. He raced in kart from the years 2003 to 2005. Yeah, three years. Not full-time. Uh, let me count it up. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About a dozen races over three years. Raced... 
Dale Coyne in 2003 at Toronto and, of course, the beautiful uh, Miami circuit. Downtown. <laughs> then raced for Conquest Racing the first half of 2004 and then suited up in 2005 for uh, CTE HVM Racing for Toronto what and Edmonton. Name. Yeah, so uh, best finish ever was uh, an eighth. He was 10th and 8th in Toronto. So talk about a guy that's hoping that Toronto doesn't go off the schedule. Mr. Alex Spirifico. What's Uh, interesting, I'm looking at his stats now, and he won a race in the Barber Dodge Pro Series at Sebring in 2001. He did one race in that series in 2003, did a couple of races in, in kart slash champ car at at that point 2003 it was still kart 2004 so when it switched to champ car or yeah. am, I, am i getting that wrong um a couple of races you know mid-pack mid-pack yeah. in 2004 outside of toronto eighth and 12th in the canadian swing in 2005 yeah, so 12 yeah yeah and then what's really weird is he, he to ran atlantic's. yeah he went to <laughs> atlantic's ran most of the season in 2006 in atlantic's best finish of 11th uh, you guessed it, Toronto, and then also 11th at Road America, but 22nd in points. Pretty that crazy. was it. He disappeared. And of course, we, you know, if you're 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 wondering, I've heard the Sparafico name before. He is the oldest of the four racing Sparificos. So Unser, Earnhardt, Andretti, Sparafico. So you have Ricardo Sparafico. Um did at least one season in Champ Car, also racing Formula 3000, runner-up 2003. Rodrigo, you have Alexandre, he's a cousin, and then also another cousin is Rafael Sparafico. Yeah, Rafael was actually killed uh, racing at Interlagos in the in Stock Car Brazil Series. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it says the four family members often competed against each other in Brazilian F3 in the late 90s. Rodrigo and Ricardo competed uh, for competing teams during the 2000 Italian Formula 3000 team or season. So the Spirifico family, guys and gals, put them up there, right up there with the Unsers and the Andrettis. <laughs> but maybe, uh, maybe maybe not quite. Not quite. So, uh, yeah, 2003, he uh, he went stateside, made his Champ Car World Series debut for Coin, ran the uh, half the season in 2004 for My Jack Conquest Racing. So, My Jack, you know, still around with Ray All Letterman Lanigan. That is uh, Mike Lanigan's company, I believe. Uh, I think so. So, he was unable to find a seat on the grid in 2006. He then moved to the Brooks Associates Racing Team in the Atlantics. And after this, he retired from competition. So, born in 1974 in Toledo, Parana, which is, uh, Toledo is a municipality, Brazil state of Parana. So, not Toledo, Ohio, (laughs) but Toledo, Brazil. So, there's your random split era driver of the week, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alex Spirifico. All right, and time for tweets of the week, and it's really just one tweet, but it is... Really good. Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Did you see this one, Justin? I don't I don't know if I did. Okay. Uh, per source, Kimi Raikkonen is in discussions oh, with yes. Bishop Sycamore <laughs> Racing to drive the team's number 58 entry for the 2022 IndyCar season. Longtime F1 driver set to retire from the series at the end of 2021 is said to be attracted by the team's longtime success in the sport. <laughs> it got several people. It did. It got some F1 uh, Twitter account. Yeah, it did. Which was very funny. Uh, which, you know, is fair. You know, they don't know what's going on over there. So, um, 
I, I honestly read that. I didn't read it all because I saw it and then I started skimming it because I got excited. And then it was it took maybe like a second and a half for it to register. <laughs> I don't know about you, but yeah, I was fooled for a second and a half. But you know, by the Twitter responses, it got several people. I've been reading up a lot on this Bishop Sycamore it's fascinating. high school, fake high school football team. It is very fascinating. And the thing is, there's like legitimately no excuse why it wasn't caught. Like, an easy Google search. I mean, you just look up the names of the players and they're like, yeah, yeah. these guys aren't listed on rivals or 24 7 sports or espn in the recruiting rank yeah and you know and espn says oh we outsource the uh the you know the, the schedule of those games like yeah it's bad you know but the, that shows your third party is horrible at its job all you got to do like you said caleb is search these rankings and see that nobody from bishop sycamore is ranked or look up their school's website or you know like here in indiana we have a great website run by john harrell you can look up programs football high school football programs and see their their record and all that like you, there has to be stuff like that in other states no did no research for for any car fans this is like the equivalent of Believing Mark Plourd was a real driver. If, <laughs> if you know that, if you know, you know. Yes, if you know, that's, you know, and you're laughing with us. That's kind of what this whole Bishop Sycamore <laughs> thing is, if you haven't paid attention, is all about. So it's kind of captivated everyone in, in the sports world here in the past week since that game was played. Was it Was it Sunday? Friday? When was uh, it? was Friday or Saturday. Yeah, they, they got blitzed by IMG Academy like 56 to nothing or something. Yeah, it was IMG something like is that. one of the top, you know high school football teams in the country yeah so. and, and they are legit they are for real like yeah, that is and then they actually have a school yes legitimate <laughs> school in florida yes <laughs> now they specialize in football yes but they also <laughs> actually have a school yeah kind of like oak hill in basketball or la, yep. la lumiere or how, however you yeah, say la it. Lou, yep uh, those are schools that focus in <laughs> basketball yes so yeah uh, they fooled the right people to get on television, and uh, Nathan Brown fooled a fair amount of people with that tweet. So good stuff. And again, next week we'll uh, have a race to preview. I'm sure we'll have some more announcements in regards to Silly Season. I think we kind of expected some to be announced this week. It didn't happen, but if it doesn't happen next week, it'll happen over the weekend at Portland because we're just getting to that time. It's I mean, it's already almost mid-September when, when we get to Portland, so... There's going to be a lot of news, I think, coming down here in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. Well, I think, you know, by the end of the month, we're going to have a lot of questions answered between silly season, schedule, what things look like going forward. It's going to be a very exciting here three, four weeks, not just to uh, crown a champion for 2021, but also looking ahead to 2022. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another episode of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.